My name is Chad Moore. I'm a ministerial assistant here with Young Adult Ministry. And like Cross said, we are in anger. We're going to talk about anger tonight. And I'm really thankful that I get this opportunity. Um, when I first saw that it was going to be my passage, I was a little hesitant. I was like, oh, man. I like the, the passages that make us feel good, the passages that like really, you know, you can go do this, you got this, and kind of a motivational speaker, um, because those are fun. Um, but this passage has really challenged me because I think that there's, no, it's, there's not an accident that happens when it comes to how God has placed his word in, his, in the Bible. And so we're, in, we're going through, if you remember, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so far we have seen salt and light. We have seen that, um, as Cross was talking about last week, that Jesus is all for the law. He, is, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it and actually give it meaning because it wasn't that uh, there was anything wrong with the laws that we didn't understand the, um, the fullness of the law, uh, that it actually, it's not just a list of rules. It relates back to the heart of God, the very nature of who God is, so that when we see the law, we no longer see just do this, don't do this, but we see God loves you, and that's why he wants you to live in a way that is a righteous life. In fact, if you think about the whole, this next Part, and we're starting with wrath, but it, we're going to go into lust and divorce and oaths and relate. So it, just all these kind of things. But what we're looking at, the big scheme is God wants you to live a righteous life. That is a good motivation for you to have. A righteous life is a life of victory. You have the opportunity as a child of God to tap into the power source of who God is and live in a way that you can have victory in your life. So that's why um, we're going to start in anger. And I think uh, when I was talking about how just precisely where God put it. It's because anger is one of those things, if you don't clear that up, you stop. There is a wall in your spiritual life that you can't get past. When there are people in your life that you have not forgiven, when you come to a place where you are holding on to so much in your life that you're not handing it over to God, well, there is so many walls that you hit. You can't enjoy the, full, full, the, the fullness of the, the life that you can have as a Christian. So let's read it. Um, and then we're going to talk about some context and get straight into what, what is anger? Why, why is it such a problem for us? So we're in Matthew 5, and it's verse 21, and we're going to go to verse 26. So that's Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26. So read it along with me. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, talking about Jesus, so Jesus is bringing out his authority in this place. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser's hand uh, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So we have a lot to go through tonight, but let's remember again, so where this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking this is at, towards the beginning of his ministry. He now has his 12 uh, disciples who have chosen to follow him, and they're sitting at his feet. I imagine they're, they're but it's not just the disciples. There's people in back of them. There's, there's a lot of people that are 
listening to him, but it's people who really are starting to believe who is this guy that we're following. He's doing all these miracles. He's, he's teaching in a way that we've never heard ever before. So he, it's almost kind of like a, uh, Jesus kind of setting up, this is what I'm expecting of you. As people who are going to be following me, these are, this is the expectation. Here's the standard of living that I'm expecting from you. Here's the problem that they had before. So that it was, so we talked a little bit. The Pharisees saw the law, and they saw the standards, and they were going for it. They were going to say, okay, this is the standard we're going to live. But what Jesus comes back is he says there's more to the law, and that is the heart. The heart behind the law is what drives the force, is what connects you to the relationship with the law. And what we're going to see here is that you have um, the heart produces action. So the action doesn't mean just because you have something that you're doing good doesn't mean that there's a relationship with the God who gave you that action. I think it's easy for us to look at people who have had successful lives as, um, as followers of Christ. What we don't see is the hours that they spend getting to know the Lord as they wake up early in the morning or maybe late at night, whatever their thing is, and they spend time with God. What we see on our side is that they're people who love people. We see that they are people who are going above and beyond to become like Christ. So instead of trying to model their lifestyle of becoming of spending time with the Lord, we try to model their actions, and we get tripped up. We become like Pharisees. So like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this to become this person. Well, it's, it's the opposite. It has to begin with the heart. And that's where Jesus starts tonight. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Um, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So if you remember in Exodus 20:13, it all says is you shall not kill. So that extra part is added to it, but it's not wrong. Sure, there is going to be judgment. Why would there not be judgment? If you kill somebody, then there is going to be, uh, <laughs> hopefully, somebody's going to come along and say you have to pay for that. So up until now, Jesus is fine with that. He's not going to say that there shouldn't be judgment for, for killing someone. That's, that should be basic. What he is going to say is that you, you stop too soon. Why is that all that you wrote, Pharisees? Why is that all that's in your book of huge laws about murder? Oh, there's so much more. So you have to start with the heart. And the heart is, is, begins with wrath. It begins with anger in your heart. You can't just go and murder somebody without there being anything in your heart. It starts with your heart, and it goes from there. So he's, he's actually saying that the judgment that you put on the murder should actually start way before. When, it, when you look at the heart, that's when it should start coming up. I want us to see that um, the anger begins to pass in your life. Tonight, we're going to see through this passage, it's going to take us on these two journeys. So the first journey is the journey of destruction, and the next one is the journey of life. And it's really quite clear in the passage, we're just going to follow it all along. And I want you to see, this is the path that you're going into. You have two choices that you're going to take over. You're going to either let your anger take over you, or you're going to take over what your anger is doing. You're, going to have, you're either going to let your anger control you, or you are going to step it up. And you're going to make sure that you are taking the initiative to claim your life back to yourself. So um, the first thing we see, is in verse 22, and it, this begins our path, and what I'm going to say is the path of malice, anger. So we see that in the first part of verse 22. So look at verse 22. It says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And that's the transition. So you said that judgment was only for murder. Well, 
It begins before that. It begins with anger. It becomes very clear to us that Jesus is very much more concerned with who you are as a person than action itself. But it's not because murder is not bad. It's because it he, Jesus is much more interested in how do we prevent this action rather than just coming on on the back side. Well, it begins with this. We have to take our actions seriously. You have to take your thoughts seriously because if you don't, you're going to start on this path and this path goes, it keeps going on in a general direction. It's not this path that loops around. You're going to go further and further into the anger that you have inside. See, anger doesn't just plant itself in there and stays. Anger gets into your life and it spreads. It's interesting that uh, Israel had three capital punishments. The first one uh, is beheading, and that's the one that they usually put, put with this one. So when Jesus is talking about the, uh, the way we can see how serious each one of these are is by the capital punishment that Jesus associates with it. So he says judgment for the first one, that's usually understood as just chopping someone's head off, which is one of the more merciful ways compared to these two more that we're going to see. The second one is that after you've, you've let that anger come into your life and you're holding on to you're not you're not dealing it you might not even be paying attention to it but all of a sudden it grows in your life well it's going to start coming out of your mouth because whatever's in your heart starts coming out of the way you talk about somebody listen to what it says but i say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment now this part whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel when it's talking about counsel it's talking about the sanhedrin the sanhedrin whenever their capital punishment was stoning so now we see a little step up. So now we're seeing that the insults itself isn't, is because it's coming out of a heart that started in anger. So it goes from anger to insult, and you're, you're now um, speaking what's in your mind. It's coming out, and you, you think, I can just kind of control this, but you can't. Uh, that's a red flag. You can see, if I'm no longer to look at that person and have peace in my mind, then I know there's a problem. It starts coming out in these little ways. Maybe you're not insulting them right away, but it's things like, oh, they would take my part parking spot today. That would be them who messed up today. Those little comments that start coming out of your mouth, but soon you can't even say anything nice about that person because they've messed with you. They've done something wrong to you. Here's what Jesus is not saying. It's not that, it's, it's not that people aren't, aren't a pain. <laughs> people are a problem in our life, but you have a choice every single time that that happens. When anger gets in you, you have a choice of what you're going to do. But if you continue right now, we haven't gotten to that choice. We're going down this path of what anger leads you to. So the third one is that last part in verse 22. And it says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. When it talks about hell of fire, it's talking about this place that was just right outside. It was south of Jerusalem. And it used to be the place where the Jews back in the day would sacrifice their children to Molech. And there was this huge fire, and that's how it started. Well, by the time it was Jesus' day, it was like the city dump. It smelled horrible. They would put anything and everything in this huge fire. It was almost continuously burning. And they would even put um, uh, probably somebody who was too poor to have a burial service or just didn't have family to put them in, in a hole or anything. They would just put them in the fire. Well, part of the capital punishment was they would put them into the fire. This is very rare. But it shows how serious this last one is. Jesus is saying, you're going down, down, down into this this level because you've let anger just reside in your life. And because of that, you can't go back. So it says that you will be, so whoever says you fool. So we need to clarify that before I go on. 
Um, you fool, you might be wondering, but didn't Jesus call the Pharisees fool? Didn't Paul say, call people fools? Didn't um, we have throughout the Bible, people in Proverbs specifically, you have the wise and the fool. So how can you say that just by calling someone a fool, you deserve such a horrible, horrible death? How can you even deserve any judgment at all? Because Christ is perfect. And that's kind of, but of course, there's several different ways to say fool in Greek. Um, but it's but as I was looking at it, and I thought, well, should we have a Greek session tonight? Like, maybe that's the direction I go. But as I studied it more, I realized it's not just about the different wording. Oh, it's just like a different arrangement of, of letters. No, it's about the condition of the heart. Of course, we're going back to the heart. See what Christ does and what Paul does and what throughout the Bible, when they see something that is foolish, then it actually, um, then it goes to the direct activity. This is what um, uh, this one website called Compelling Truth says. They said it much better than I do, so I decided just to write it and read it to you. It says, when Jesus or Paul called a person foolish, they meant to say that the person was acting rashly, without thinking, unwisely, or without any information. So it's somebody who is taking, uh, taking a decision that leads them away from Christ, and hopefully by calling them a fool, you are leading them back to Christ. That is the idea of calling them a fool in this situation. So what's the difference? So if you're calling someone a fool, they were, remember the context of this whole thing is anger. So out of an anger heart, you're not coming from a position of, oh, I want to help you back into righteousness. No, you're, when you're coming at someone and you're calling them a fool in this context, you're calling them, you're actually um, taking away the person that they've become. You're attacking their very nature of who they are. This is what it says, to call someone raka, which is the word, is to refute God's nature in them. So you're actually, you're actually insulting the Lord at that point. It's not just that you're insulting that very person. You're just, you're, you're looking at someone and you're saying your very being, the core of who you are, there is nothing good about you. You are a fool. The, I think more helpful for us is seeing that it's, it's just calling someone's very nature stupid. It's calling that person's very nature idiot. So, great, now we understand that the, the nature that is actually condemned is the very way that we use those words today. See, we usually, it, it doesn't take long for us to see that this is a problem in our society. We have visuals, we have a front seat row, we have a perfect view of our world today that's just angry. As we get closer and closer to the election, as we see people just rising up in political different things. But I thought of something else, just even looking at how people comment on funny videos on social media. Something perfectly harmless. You go to a video and you're like, huh, that was funny. I bet other people enjoyed this video too. You go to the comments, nope. Nobody enjoyed this video. Nobody at all, because everybody's just fighting each other. There's that one comment at the beginning that says, oh, I hate how people hate other people. And then you, there you go, other comments, and you have more and more people talking about, oh, well, you, should, you can't take a joke, and all these people, it's just a funny video, don't hurt them. So all these videos are the exact same way. And you see that there's this anger against people they've never even met before. There's a choice we have. Um, because it's really easy for us to look at all these people. Since we do have a very good illustration, I don't have to talk much about anger because we see it every day. So it's very easy for us to look at everything that's going on and become angry about that. Who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to the world? Is he talking to those who have chosen to not follow him? No. 
He's on the, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He is giving his almost inaugural address to his, uh, to his disciples who, are about, who have chosen to give everything they had. They, they, they turned their back on everything else and they decided to follow Christ. They have just begun this ministry, so they don't know a whole lot about Christ yet, but they're beginning to learn. So he's looking at them, and so the same th- way when we're reading this passage, we can't just start thinking about everything that I just said of look at our social media, look at all these people who hate each other. We have to go beyond that. We have to think about ourselves. Where am I tonight? Where are the people that I have chosen to not forgive in my own life? So even though this path, number one, our first path was leading to destruction, and we see that through the different ways that it comes out. If you let that just dwell in your heart, you're going to lead to destruction. There's no way around it. You can't control it, but you do have an option to be able to fight it. And that's the second path, and it's the path of immediate forgiveness. Let's look at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. There's nothing more important in your entire life to have a clear mind before your brother. See, I think even before we get to that, there's this aspect of having to remember this person that Jesus puts up. If you are up, you are you're offering a gift to the Lord, but all of a sudden you have a memory of something. There's somebody that you have something against or they have something against you. Well, you have, the, you have the choice that you have to leave everything at that point, and you have to make sure that you go and you find reconciliation before you continue your worship to God. So the first aspect of this path of immediate forgiveness is remembering. It's hard to remember, not because it's not there. It's because it's, it hurts to remember what people have done to you. But you know what happens? When you don't deal with it, it comes out of nowhere. It's much better to be proactive on this. It's better to, to take time out of your day, maybe at, when you're doing your devos, and say, Lord, who have I not forgiven today? Because if you don't do that, if you don't do it on the front end, guess what happens when somebody mentions their name? You snap. Guess what happens when the certain situation kind of reminds you of that thing that happened years ago? All of a sudden, you snap. But if you can be proactive and say, Lord, please reveal to me what I haven't forgiven people. If you stop what you're doing, and you seek to make that right before you're, you're confronted with a situation. I think something else that, that we have to see is that we have to drop, we have to go in person. I think I'm really good with, uh, um, okay, I'm going to confess this to the Lord and keep going on with my life. What's interesting is God doesn't say that. Jesus says, go to that person. And I know sometimes you, that's a little hard, but if there's someone in your life that you, haven't, that you have the ability to talk face-to-face with or even a phone call, then that's what has to happen. It won't, you won't be able to continue unless you've had a conversation with somebody. Say, this is what's going on. I, you know, there's something between us, and it needs to get cleared up. I need to forgive you, but I need to seek forgiveness myself, whatever the case may be. You have to drop everything, and this is the reason why. What does he compare? What is this person doing at the time he's worshiping, right? He's at the altar. He's offering something else. So he's doing something good for the Lord, but the Lord is gracious, and he's saying there's so much, there's something else you need to do. I'm far more interested of you finding reconciliation with your brother than you worshiping me. That means that God is serious about this because his primary reason for creating us in the first place is for us to glorify him and to show 
his glory to the earth. So the fact that Jesus would say, drop your, what you're doing, it's a great act that you're doing. But, but here's the reason why, though. It's not because, it's not because God um, doesn't value your worship. It's, me, it's really because you have no ability to worship the Lord if you have anger in your heart. The two cannot combine. If you have anger in your heart through somebody, then your worship stops there. And you might do all the actions. You might be walking through all the steps and doing everything you're supposed to do. But there is a wall that is put up when you cannot forgive those around you. So you have to drop everything. You have to talk in person if possible. It's also important to set a goal, though. So your goal is to seek restoration, so you're hoping that that person that you need to find uh, commonality with or trying to come to some resolution, you're trying to find a resolution, but that should be a goal, but it shouldn't be your measure. It, should be, it shouldn't be your measure of success. So if your goal is to seek restoration, your success is if you've done your part because you can't control what the other person is doing or thinking or, or how they feel about you. They may have not realized that the importance of, of how sin when it's in your heart just deteriorates the person that you are so your goal needs to not only just be that you have to do your part and when you've done your part you can have a clear mind and when you have a clear mind you're able to worship God in a way that you've never done before it's interesting that as we go on there's an urgency that you see verse 24 says leave your gift there before the altar first be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift Verse 25 says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. And truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. There's an urgency to this and that's because the longer you let it sit, the harder and harder it is to get away. The more you have to pay at the end of the day because you have let that manifest in your life. It almost becomes your identity. I cannot let that person off the hook. What we need to understand is when you forgive somebody, it's not acting like they didn't do anything before. It's understanding that you don't have the ability inside you to hold that grudge. If you do that, the person that you're holding the grudge against is not the one suffering. You are. You're the one that is dying on the inside because you are not capable of holding a grudge against somebody. God did not make you for that. I think to seek forgiveness is really your only option. So if you don't take this path, what happens? First of all, your anger will affect your relationship with people. There is n there's no way that you can have anger in your heart against one person and that be it. That's the only isolated situation. When you hate one person, it affects everybody around you. And I think a good illustration is kind of what happens on the road with road rage. Do you think that somebody can have so much anger in their life to when somebody kind of knocks them or whatever, they, they get road, uh, road rage and all of a sudden they shoot the person that's driving the car? No, that, that anger started long ago against somebody that was close to them, somebody who really let them down in a way that they never could forgive them. So it's not, it will never affect just that one person. If you have that anger against somebody that you're really close to and you haven't forgiven them, all of a sudden you're taking it out on every, everybody around you. And the longer you let it sit, the more people get harmed, the more people realize that they, they feel attacked. And why does this person hate when you? Well, that's not really, you're not the focus. Unfortunately, it's because we have hold on to things. I was talking to this one guy, a friend of mine in Virginia, and we were going through one-to-one, -one, and we get to this, the lesson that's, uh, the, about forgiveness. 
And, and if you've gone through one-to-one, uh, one-to-one one is an eight-week study on the foundation of Christianity, and part of that is uh, forgiveness for a good reason. And we get to the last page that says, write out a list of people that you need to forgive. And he said, well, I think my list of people that I, need to f- that I can forgive would be pretty short. I was like, that's wonderful. You should get on that. He was like, the list of people I can't forgive is pretty long. It's like, ah, you missed it. We have to start all over. So because the point is that you have to forgive everybody. There's nobody in your life that you cannot forgive. You don't have the ability on your own, but God says, I'm going to come along beside you. And do you know why God is so interested in that you forgive the people around you? It's because here's the second thing. Not only will your anger affect your relationship with people, your anger will affect your relationship to God. As long as you're holding on to that, you can't go forward. It's a, it's a roadblock in your relationship. You can't, you can't worship the Lord when you have hate in your heart. Jesus didn't ask us to forgive each other because it's easy, though. And I think that's something I need to clarify. So even though there's these two roads, it's not like one road is easy and the other one's hard. So what are you doing? Why don't you just forgive everybody in your life? It's not like that. Forgiving people is so hard because, because it hurts. There's people have hurt. I, I don't think there's a single person that can honestly say they've never been hurt by anybody in this room. So you can, you, the reason it's so hard is because it's personal. They attacked you as a person. And it might cost you something to go and ask them forgiveness. You'll have to swallow your pride. In some occasions, it might cost you money if you have to like restore something that you broke or, or if you're on that side, it goes both ways. If you're the one who harmed or if you're the one who got harmed, it, it takes you, if you're the one that acknowledges, if you know that, if you're the one that knows there's a problem, then it's your responsibility to fix the problem. It might cost you a friendship because maybe the, the situation isn't known to quite as much as a person. So when you bring it up and say, you know, I, I really am hurt because of the way you tr- treated me, they might not receive that well. So it might cost you a friendship, but all those things should not surprise us. It should not surprise us that, that bringing forgiveness into our life is going to hurt us because think about the ultimate forgiver, and that's Jesus Christ. You know what? It, it hurt Jesus a lot to forgive you. But he was willing to do it. He decided to leave his throne in heaven. He had perfectly everything he had he wanted, but we were the ones who hurt him. He created us to be the, the person who would, who would reflect his glory to the world. And instead of that, we rejected him and we accused him of being the opposite of good. We accused him of, of hating us. We we're enemies of God and, and Jesus came to our rescue. We usually think about the crucifixion as being the part where he suffered, but it was so much more. It was all of his 30 years before and then 33 years in ministry. The whole thing was suffering. He suffered for us so much every single day. People hated him, even though he was the creator of the universe, but he was willing to do it because forgiveness is so important to him. Thankful, I'm so glad that forgiveness is so, so important to him because, because he decided to forgive me, I now have life through him. That is the ultimate forgiveness there is, but you know what? The same principle on the, the lower scale is true for us. If you are willing to put in forth the effort that it takes to release the anger that's inside you. If you take the time to see the people around you who you need to forgive and you take whatever measure it is, you go and talk to those people, there is a freedom that comes to that because now you're 
are able to worship God in a way that you've never been able to before. And when you worship God, you are feeling that is the purpose of your entire life, no matter what that looks like. It affects just like the opposite, even though just like um, anger affects the people around you and affects your relationship to the Lord. The opposite, when you can love people the way you're supposed to, when you can love God the way you're supposed to, then that will change your world forever. Because now you have the freedom to do that. Think about what Jesus did, though. Is there really, do you have any right to not forgive anybody? Think about how much you have been forgiven. Christ has forgiven you of everything. You deserved hell, and God gave you life. When you think of it on that spectrum, and God is the one asking you to forgive others, you don't stand on any ground. You have no argument that you can come up with for a reason why you can't forgive someone. And you might be saying, Chad, you don't know what my life, you don't know what people have done to me, and I don't. But I know what Christ did for you, and I know that you can't repay him for anything that he did for you. He, and I, I know for a fact that if Christ did that much for you, then he's requiring you to do the little bit that you have to do here on earth. I want us to do something tonight, um, because it's really easy to walk away from a, from a passage um, and not make a change. I want us to, to, to close our eyes, bow our heads, and I want you to take a few seconds and examine your heart. I want you to think about the people who have harmed you or that you, you know that there is somebody that you need to go and talk to and have a conversation where you forgive them and they forgive you, a chance for reconciliation or things you need to forgive people for. Sometimes that won't come you, know, you, you need to ask the God to tell you, what, who have I not forgiven in my life? What is keeping me from, from really uh, going forward in my relationship with God? So if you can do that, take a few minutes, ask the Lord to show you who you need to forgive, and then start today. This may be a journey of you forgiving that person, but it needs to start tonight. As long as it doesn't start tonight, you are not making forward progress in your relationship with the Lord. You're not making forward progress with your relationship with others. It is a serious matter. And that is why tonight, take a few minutes and ask the Lord to show you who you need to forgive starting today. Heavenly Father, please search our hearts. I pray, God, that there would be nobody that we have not thought of. Lord, I I pray, God, that just because it's difficult and that we would not forget the reason why. Thank you for Jesus who paid the ultimate price for us. And I pray, God, that that would be our motivation. Our motivation wouldn't just be to, to have a more free life, but our motivation would be because Christ paid everything for us, that our motivation would be found in Jesus. If today you haven't received the ultimate gift of forgiveness, then I would encourage you to not leave this place, but seek out Cross and Tanya and Marley and myself, and we would love to talk with you. Because that's where you can't forgive others unless you have first received that amazing gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. We'd love to have that conversation with you. So don't leave um, until you've had that conversation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this group of people. I pray, Lord, that you keep them safe. And Lord, I pray that you would give them success in having this righteous life, this freedom that you have to offer. I pray, Lord, that we would not 
delay in tapping into the glorious life that you have provided for us, even here on earth, before you give us eternal life in heaven. Thank you for your abundant love. In Jesus' name, amen.